Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Hello. Good evening and welcome. Late to the party tonight because I'm late and I'm sorry about that. I've been all over the place. Um, but I'm here now, probably on my own. Something I was supposed to be doing at seven o'clock, but anyway. Hey ho, I'm here now. Got loads of questions, so I'm going to crack on. And as ever, if anyone's got any questions, Hoping audio is okay, assuming someone will tell me if it's not. Um, if anyone's got any questions, ask away. As ever, please comment and share. Feel free to comment and share on this. So we've got some questions coming up and we have got them here. So how are keloid scars treated? Keloid scars are ugly, red, raised, lumpy scars. They occur in certain skin types, particularly Afro-Caribbean skin types. They also occur in certain areas, the earlobe, chest, the shoulder. So if you're having any scars or if you've got a mole or something on your shoulder or in your sternum, then I would worry that it could become keloid because those areas are high risk for keloid. Um, and keloid are red raised scars that can be unsightly and can be very difficult to treat. We don't really know what causes them. Animals don't get them. So there's no sort of animal model to test any treatments on or to do uh, um, studies on. Lots of studies have been done on keloid scars to try and find out what causes them, but we're not really sure. There's quite a few hypotheses. But because we don't really know what causes them, it's hard to know how to treat them. Uh, so we haven't got any really good treatments. And the most of the treatments we've got are things that we've sort of done and found out that they sometimes work. And therefore we say that, you know, let's do that then because sometimes it's worked in the past rather than saying that's working for this reason because we don't really know what causes it so if you don't know what causes it, it's hard to sort of target your treatment first thing uh, pressure uh, pressure is good it depends on where they are whether you can put pressure on them uh, on the earlobe you bear pressure clips you see people with facial scarring wearing pressure masks and if you can get pressure on it if there's a band somewhere um pressure like on the belt belt or something like that the trousers pressure is good uh but in a lot of areas it's hard to get pressure on them certainly massaging them with pressure is is, is also good but uh, constant pressure is better um, massage is good as well for all scars but uh, also good for keloid scars um uh, then we've got um as i'm talking i'm sort of thinking i answered this last week but did i but anyway then we've got um um uh, things like silicone. Silicone's good. Silicone comes either in ointment or in sheets. Uh, and uh, depending on what the sheets, I think are better, but certainly if it's on the face or something, the sheets don't really work. They fall off. Um, but uh, the ointment's a little bit easier to apply because it's just an ointment you put on. If you put on, as I say, massage is good, but if you put in the ointment, the silicone on, you can't really massage as well. I did talk about this last week. I did. Did talk about it last week. Anyway, um, I think it's been asked again. So there you go. So she, uh, silicone is good. Uh, you can buy it from the chemist, Seeker Care or Silgel or Silderm. Um, we sell it in our clinic. Um, but uh, yes, it's quite expensive. Silicone, it's, they market it as scar reduction gels and things. It's really good for hypertrophic or keloid scars, lumpy scarring. Um, 
So those are the sort of mainstay of treatment, really. The, as you move up into treatment, they're, if they're not respond, responding to those treatments or if you want other treatment, then as you move up in the treatments, you become getting into areas where you can have complications, can have downsides. With the silicone and massage and pressure, there's less downsides. Pressure, you could get ulceration, but there's less downsides. So as you move up, then you've got to think about, is it worth taking on the risk of complications to have more treatment? And those are things like steroid injections. Steroid injections are injected directly into the keloid scar, can be a little bit uncomfortable, um, because you're injecting it into the scar. But the steroid can help dampen down the inflammation, can help with the redness, can help with the itch. Keloid scars are often itchy, and the steroid often helps with that. And it often needs to be repeated steroid injections. I normally do a course of three and leave it for a few months, and then you might need to know another course of three. So um, it's something that can be repeated. And then you move on to things like surgery. A lot of people, when they come with a keloid star carving, just cut it out and stitch it up and make it look good. The problem is it's your body's reaction to the scar. So the worry about cutting it out and stitching it up is it can come back bigger because the keloid scar is classically bigger than the size of the original scar. And so if you have a little, little scar makes it into a big keloid, then if you cut it out and stitch it up, then you've got a big scar and that can make, make a bigger keloid. So you've got to be really careful about doing uh, cutting it out. Um, we often do something called an intralesional excision, which means you don't cut all of the keloid out. You leave a little rim of keloid behind and then you can do steroid injections into that little rim. Um, so it's not really, <laughs> uh, yeah, but late than never. Sorry about that. Um, so it's not really, um, it's not really, oh, what's well, not really what? Keloid scars. Anyway, it's the interlegional excision. You don't really cut it all out. You leave a little rim um, of, uh, of keloid behind. Um, so yeah, excision often people think is a first line, but it's actually about the third or fourth line. Um, and then the sort of fifth line or last line, I can't remember how many lines we've got, but the last line is uh, things like radiotherapy, or not things like radiotherapy, radiotherapy basically, uh, which is, you know, for really bad ones, hardly ever have to do that. It's only a really bad one. It keeps on coming back. Uh, radiotherapy has a risk of causing cancer and stuff like that. So you really don't want to do, do that unless it's a really bad one. So uh, the mainstay of treatment is pressure, silicone, um, pressure and silicone, and then steroid injections, I guess, next one, intralesional excision, last one, except for radiotherapy, which is the last one after the intralesional excision, but that's a hardly ever one. Woo! Right. Here, we've got a question here. I'm looking for a full abdominoplasty, not me, this is the question, after a gastric bypass in November 2015, was due to fly to Turkey next month, but at the last minute they declined my surgery. The reason was because of my multivitamins, because I take Van Venlalic antidepressant. I'm now trying for a UK surgeon, as I don't want to go through a disappointment again. Can you please advise? Yes, I can. I've heard this actually, I've heard this a couple of times, that people getting turned down last minute because of a history of depression uh, for surgery, whatever it may be. Um, and I don't really understand why they're turning people down last minute, to be honest, because they often know about the medical history when they first come in. You know, when you first come, we always take a full medical history. And I think most places do. And they sort of know about your history of depression then. So they should make a decision there and then. Um, so this person wants to avoid the disappointment again. So what I would say is that... Uh, uh, there are things, uh, there are absolute contraindications and relative contraindications to surgery. Absolute contraindications means you totally wouldn't do it. Um, relative contraindications mean you'd have to sort of have a discussion with the patient and say, look, there are risks of doing it and we need to sort things out before doing it. So depression is no way an absolute contraindication to surgery. Just because someone's got depression 
does not mean they can't have surgery, whether it be a tummy tuck, whether it be a breast augmentation, whatever it may be. Um, depression is not a contraindication. Um, having said that, you have got to, or we are all very aware that it is an emotional process having surgery. And so you've got to be sure that you're doing it at the right time for the patient, um, because it is a big op, a tummy tuck, and all this sort of breasty stuff and the tummy, well, all the body contouring is a big psychological um, change. No, it's obviously a physical change, but we mustn't underestimate the psychological aspect of these operations and they can take it their toll because they often don't look like they're going to look at the end at the beginning if that makes sense so they often take time for them to settle and that can be quite traumatic and quite stressful and so you have to be in a good frame of mind in the right place psychologically so if you are in a, uh, a difficult place psychologically and if things could be improved psychologically then that will probably be best to do first uh, what we do is we offer psychological support to um, all our patients. We don't insist on it because, well, I think there's an argument to get help, for, not help, but advice from everyone. But we don't insist on it because I think um, people will be a bit, um, I think some people will be a bit like, I don't need it. You know, and it's not, we're not saying anyone's mad or anything like that. People think, oh, I'm not mad. I've got, you know, a big tummy and I want my tummy sorted out. Uh, we're not saying it's not that you haven't got a big tummy or that not that you don't want big, uh, bigger breasts or smaller breasts or whatever. Um, but it's just that we're acknowledging the fact that there's a psychological aspect. And so, you know, there are experts in psychological stuff and experts in the surgery stuff. You know, we're already experts in surgery stuff um, and can advise you about all that. But there are we, we have um, psych, um, psychologists who we work with that we offer support so what i would do in this situation is number one is if you have a history of depression and if you have a psychiatrist or a psychologist that you work with ask them um before you come to, to see us um and i'll or before your surgeon you don't have to see us see any surgeon and ask them and say what do they think and if your treatment is being modified then maybe it's best to get on a level treatment that you're stable at before considering this sort of thing um so ask them we would also write to them uh, if you wanted us to uh, and just say to them look we think you're having some surgery what do you think and uh, also we would ask an opinion of our, our psychologist to see if they could help and put any um uh, their view on it to see whether it's the right time for surgery for you um because we stopped doing free consultations actually we haven't we do a free consultation event every month um it was the 11th of september i don't know when the next one is um but because we do pay a lot of paid consultations i can understand people being a bit worried about saying oh i'm going to pay 100 pounds for consultation and then to get told that i'm not can't have it done because of my depression or something like that we offer this the satisfaction guarantee i called it i i i coined the name um satisfaction guaranteed um in, in terms of the appointment the outpatient appointment so if we can't help you for whatever reason so this being one we will refund the consultation because it's not really fair that you have to pay for the consultation so that's um something we do but i guess that's how you avoid it speak to your psychiatrist or psychologist if you can before going to the consultation um and um yeah and if you came to us then we look at you know getting help if, if you need help you might not need help i mean a lot of people have suffer from depression and stable with it and you know also would benefit from having a tummy tuck you know that's and that's you know that happens a lot and that's fine and you feel better having a tummy tuck or breast augmentation 
but it's just making sure it's the right thing for you at the right time. So um, yeah, so that's that, that's that one. Getting you another, do we offer aftercare services and consultation to check incisions of people who've had surgery elsewhere? Uh, this lady had surgery in Turkey and didn't take her aftercare into consideration. So um, yeah, so another Turkey, two turkeys. A couple of turkeys here, turkeys familiar tonight. Um, really tough this we've had the, i've had this before with people who have surgery elsewhere um struggle to, to contact the surgeon or things like that i think most of these i feel i don't know it's this is a problem it's my i feel you think there'd be a law about it but i feel that surgeons or if you have surgery in turkey or abroad they should have some support in the uk um i don't know if they have to have some support in the uk probably probably no law against it or you know against them not having it but they should really have something in the uk that, that can support you. I think often the problem is they're like not maybe not doctors. I don't know, or the doctors don't come all the time to the UK. Um, so it is difficult. And I think this is one of the reasons that it can be difficult when you have surgery abroad. And I know it's cheaper and, you know, it's difficult to compete on price when it comes to abroad surgery. But, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for having it close to home um because if you have you know you want to have your incisions checked or something we don't really have a system uh where you can just come for the aftercare so this patient who's calling me and uh, saying can i can they come to just have their incisions checked it doesn't really work like that because the way it works is that you pay for the surgery and we don't charge for the aftercare we don't have a price for aftercare um so you know you it is more expensive to have the surgery in the UK than it is if you go abroad. And that's one of the reasons why there are other reasons, surgical training as surgeons in this country, we have a lot of indemnity we have to have insurance for. Um, and so it's not, you can't just have the surgery you know, aftercare here. So my advice to this person is to go to the GP. If you, if you worried about your incision, well, no, sorry, take that back. Go back to the people in, Sur in Turkey or the, the, the presumably you've got a handler or something in the UK. I don't know how it works, but I guess there must be a point of contact. And you go, go to them first because hopefully, you know, maybe even if it's just a Skype call with a surgeon or something, maybe can they sort that out? So that would be your best call, number one. If you really need to see a doctor and there are no doctors in the UK with this company, then go to the GP. And I've heard people say that that's what they get told by these places to go to the GP. It's not great. And I always tell people who are my patients, don't go to the GP because the GP doesn't know what I've done and they may not see many tummy tucks and they might not know what the wounds are supposed to look like um, and they may not know how to deal with them. So it's not ideal. Um, but it's, you know, if in this country we've got a great national health service and if you have a medical problem and that is a medical problem, you can go to national health service. I know they're looking into the cost to the national health service of, you know, treating patients who be treated abroad. That's something that they're looking at nationally. But if there's one individual patient who has got a problem, um, yeah, go to GP. Well, go to your provider first, but I don't know what to say. If the provider's not helping you, they should, but you can't, I, I can't force them to help you. Yeah, that's, um, that's a bit of a downer, isn't it? Sorry, didn't want to have a down. Let's go on an upbeat one. Let's get, let's bring it up. Let's bring the energy back up. What's the next question? Oh, what percentage of fat transfers fail? Okay, not really bringing the energy up. That one, we'll bring the energy up with the next one. Don't worry. Okay, 
let's do this one because it's a downer and then we'll bring the energy up um let's bring the energy up in the room people come on it's nine o'clock at night um what percentage of fat transfer procedures failed due to one fat being reabsorbed two necrosis three breast shape worsening because of the weight of the added fat oh this one actually this one came in after the facebook live last week didn't it and i think i answered it manually but i said i'd talk about it this week so here i am talking about it this week um it, it's basically whatever you call it you know, I call it something different to what other people are calling it with regards to fat transfer fail. I don't aim for any of the fat transfer to fail. I aim to get 100% take. Um, but whatever, whatever, whichever way you call it, whichever way you cut it, when you first do fat transfer, there's more than there is at the beginning than later. Now, a lot of that is due to swelling. When you you inject stuff and it's swollen and the tissues are all a bit knocked about and things like that. So never, no question about it. When you first do fat transfer, it is quite swollen. And you might think I'm going like this as if it's the breast. I mean, you do it all over the body, but breast... I'm assuming this is a breast. Yeah, it is. It is wait, breast shape. Yeah. So, um, so when you first do it, they're quite swollen, and uh, you might think fantastic. You might think, oh my god, that's too big. Unlikely, but uh, whatever you think, they will settle um, down. So they will. They will. You can call it some of the fat transfer being reabsorbed. You can call it necrosis. We'll talk about necrosis in a minute. But. Um, I call it swelling going down. I don't think it's fat for me being resorbed. I think it's thought I aim for the fat to take. Um, but nevertheless, I can't give you a percentage. I know people do 70% or something. I don't know where they get it from. Um, people have tried to quantify it by doing MRIs before and after and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's such a subjective thing, this whole thing. Fat transfer is all about managing expectation in my book. And I will or err on the side of caution and therefore, I don't do huge volumes. Don't do huge volume fat transfers. Um, don't do buttock augmentations, you might know. Um, do Used to do a lot of fat transfer to the breast when I was doing reconstruction because it's just one side and um, to sort of uh, build up a reconstructed breast. But for a cosmetic bilateral augmentation, it's small volumes. And because it's small volumes, I don't see fat necrosis hardly ever. I'd like to say never. It might actually be never, but it probably isn't. I probably have had some, but it's hardly ever. Um, I see no fat necrosis. Fat necrosis is more like, so the bad things that happen when the fat dies is it forms hard lumps or it forms oil cysts. Um, well, it doesn't form oil cysts. It's you injecting oil cysts. But anyway, you can get oil cysts or fat necrosis. Those are the bad things that can happen, but they're not very common, to be honest with you. And usually the fat necrosis will soften and also the oil cysts you can aspirate. So... Um, it's not a disaster. It's not great, but it's not a disaster, but it's not a common thing. And then that the last part of the question, which is breast shape worsening because of the weight of the added fat, that never happens because I don't put in huge volumes of, of breast. That's, that's the least of your problems, the breast shape worsening because of added volumes of fat. It's not like you're making the breast enormous and then they droop. Um, that's not an issue. As I say, it's a real subtle, it's less than a cup size uh, is, is when I do it, less than a cup size augmentation. So it's not a huge volume of fat quiet in here tonight isn't it and it's quiet in here tonight because we're on downer we're on downer questions so what we're going to do is let's let's get something bring it up what do we got next question okay what do we got interested in breast implant removal the implants have been checked and are fine but has breast pain so is wondering if removal will cure the pain okay All right another downer another downer right um good question though fair play good question 
Um, tricky, tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Um, how would I advise about this? This is about, I haven't seen this patient. Um, this is an inquiry that's come in. But um, you do hear about this. You know, this goes along with all the breast implant illness stuff and uh, breast implants making people feel ill, people getting pain from breast implants. And it's really hard to know how to advise because from a scientific point of view, breast implants shouldn't really cause pain. They're an inert piece of silicone. They don't really cause, or they shouldn't really cause pain. You can't, from a scientific point of view, how can they cause pain? I mean, potentially, I guess, some kind of nerve. There could be, if it was nerve type pain, but in my experience, this is not, uh, this is a good question. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Um, this is it's not uh, normally nerve type pain. It's normally um, sort of dull pain, sort of ache, non-specific pain. Um, and so it's really tricky. And I have had patients with this and I've had a, one patient that I can specifically remember that I got a pain specialist to see if I could help with sort of um, you know, medication and if there's any sort of any other things we could do to help with the pain. Um, and it's patients often feel that it's due to the implants. And in this particular situation, and I would say from a scientific point of view, I can't say that it will be due to the implants. And so it's a real worry to say, look, take the implants out because you cannot guarantee the pain will be better. And again, in my situation, she was happy cosmetically. She thought they looked fine. She was happy. She looked great. She's really happy that um, she had this pain. Um, and I took the implants out in the well in one in one of the situation that I'm thinking of, and the pain did get better immediately. Does that mean that the implant? Well, so therefore, I guess they were causing the pain. Does that mean that I should take pain uh, implants out of everybody who's causing pain? I don't think so. And what I would say is that women get breast pain who haven't got implants in. So you can get breast pain. It's important to be checked out. You haven't got anything else going on. There's no lump. There's no anything worrying there, which we did with this patient. Um, I mean, that's a sample size of one. I mean, I don't I have had one patient where I took them out and she had immediate relief. So that's changed my view on it a bit, because before then I was really worried about taking them out. She was adding them, Adam, they were they were causing the pain. I wasn't so sure. And I really was really worried about getting someone who's not got still got the pain, but not got the, the volume and like they're going to be doubly unhappy. But as it turns out, she was very happy. Um, but it is very worrying because not worrying, um, very sort of risky i suppose because you I, you know i there isn't a medical um link that you can think of unless as i say there's a specific nerve trigger point or there's something that you could maybe hypothesize that the implant is causing some pressure on there it's a bit dubious really because it shouldn't really cause pain it's a foreign body that's sat in the body and once it's in there it just sits there and doesn't do anything scar tissue forms around it well that's the other thing you get a capsular contracture which goes hard and that causes pain. So actually, I should have said that at the beginning. I just thought of that. Yeah, if you get a capsule, if you had an implant that's in for many years, then they do go hard and they do get painful. That's a well-known thing. That's capsular contracture. But um, but um, that's, a, that's a separate thing. If the implants are actually causing no problems and they're soft and they're fine, but you've got pain, it's a tricky one. And you might say, I've got the pain straight away after the implants and I feel they're due to them. And I think there might be a psychosomatic element to it that doesn't mean you're not got pain psychosomatic doesn't mean that you don't have pain um but there might be a, that element to it and therefore it might be cured by having the implants out so who's to say that taking the implants out isn't the right thing to do 
but it's one it's a real really tricky question really difficult one to answer one to to in a sort of broad terms you have to have a discussion with a patient ultimately you could have the implants taken out if pain is that bad but there'd be no guarantee that you could have it the the implants will be um not the implants the pain will get better and there would be a guarantee that the cosmetic result would get worse because you know often patients are happy with the results of the implants um so tricky one good question like it tricky one helen straight in here helen good to see you here tonight i know it's past everyone's bedtime and i know it's a late one. Oh, i've had a day of it helen i can tell you i don't mind telling you i have had a day of it today um all over the place but um anyway, i'm home now nice to be home really nice to be home um helen what is scar vision say on a breast uplift um so um scar vision is covers many things and i think a lot of people think plastic surgeons can revise scars and get rid of scars it's not getting rid of scars it's trying to make scars better for some reason so your question is what's the problem with the scar now i've got to be honest with you um helen um sorry i just seen tracy's last question got to be honest with you um usually scars do sort themselves out and they're rare they're obvious they can be a bit unsightly you've got to give it i'd say at least a year really properly for proper scars to properly settle and where would you need a scar revision on a breast uplift now you might get a hypertrophy scar red raised scar and then you could think of things like steroid injections and things or you know the silicone and stuff we spoke about already but maybe silicone injection that might be a thing scar revision of a breast uplift usually down at the t-junction where one scar meets the other scar not usually but sometimes you can get wound breakdown there and the scar can be wider than we would like um so um if that happens i normally say to people don't worry about it because we can always revise it later if it's a problem having said that the breast normally falls onto that bit of scar and you can't see it sort of ends up underneath so you very rarely need to do scar revision of that bit so that um, is one potential if that t-junction does break down and give you a wider scar you could revise that later date just cut it out and make it less wide um, the other area that um, you might need a scar revision on a breast lift would be for dog ears that would sort of be called a scar revision so dog ears little bumps at the end of the scar usually sort of medially or laterally um, and that might need to be revised by making the scar a little bit longer and cutting them out. So those are the sort of two probably the big areas where you would potentially need a surgical scar revision or you might need some steroid injections if you had a lumpy scar. No place like home. I love being at home, Helen. I absolutely love it. Um, absolutely love it. So, um, Tracy, your lady should try acupuncture. Yes. Thank you, Tracy. Then when I sent my lady, not this lady, the lady that I treated, did she try acupuncture? She um, I certainly could send her to a pain specialist who did acupuncture. I don't know if he did acupuncture on her. He might have done or she might have tried it, but she had her implants removed. That lady, I know. But this lady, yes, good. Thank you. If you're watching lady who's asked the question, acupuncture, yeah, go for it. Uh, what we got here is Tracy. After trying every pain management, steroid injections, and having the implant out for over a year. 10 sessions work. There you go. So, Tracy, mate, that's good. Yeah. Well, he, good, great. I mean, it's like anything. Different things work for different people, and definitely acupuncture. Yeah. Okay. Tracy, thank you for that. Tracy, next time we'll do a split screen. We'll do it. We'll do a joint um, Q 
Q and A, uh, but because you know, Tracy's been cured by acupuncture, so that then you know, yeah, uh, I think that's helpful advice. And um, there you go. Don't know everything because different things work for different people. Um, whoa, I thought we had loads here. This is the last one, um, but at least we're getting a bit of interaction now. Helen and Tracy are in mm, sparring. Yeah. Right. Last one. Well, unless anyone's going to chip in, chip away. Does the price of surgery change depending on the size of the implant? Does the price differ depending on whether the implant is under the skin or under the muscle? Do implants have a guarantee? It is. Is it your choice as to which brand of implant you have? Oh, oh, that's a big question. Isn't it? Okay, the only thing that affects the choice of uh, the price of the surgery is the whether you have a polyurethane implant or a silicone implant. Um, what I did, I um, the price used to be different in different hospitals. The hospitals charge different prices, and the hospitals charge different prices for the different implants, and um, so that is set by the hospital. I didn't like saying the price is this at this hospital and that and that hospital. I always thought that didn't look good. So I felt like, you know, we say we're plastic surgeons and we can't do discounts and we don't, you know, the price is the price. And then someone says, oh, actually, I live close to that hospital. Can you do it there? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, it's 500 quid cheaper there. And you're like, well, hold on a minute. You just told me a minute ago you don't do discounts, but you're telling me now it's 500 quid cheaper at that other hospital. So I um, don't do that. I don't charge different prices at different hospitals. I charge the same price at different hospitals. The hospital fees are different. So we pay different prices to the hospitals um but that's just absorbed into the you know that i don't really try and divert people to one or i don't even know what the different price is to be honest with you um you can go to either of the hospital you work at priory and parkway and you can choose either depending on where you live or the day of the surgery or whatever so the price is um and oh and so going back to the question the price is set for the hospital so the hospitals charge more for polyurethane implants so we charge more for polyurethane implants um uh than silicone implants they used to charge more for teardrop and one of them still do we don't anyway we don't charge more for teardrop we don't charge more more for size so they should do shouldn't they i think they charge more because i think the i think the companies don't charge more for size so you can have a tiny tiny little implant or a big 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 implant and uh same price so we don't charge for price size we don't charge whether it's under or over the muscle again could argue you could it's more work having it over the muscle uh, under the muscle it's never really under the skin there it's usually under the breast but um but you could argue that you should the problem with charging those things is it might make people change their decision um i suppose you could do that for your thing but you know you shouldn't really change your decision based on price you should do it under or over the muscle depending on whether that's the right thing place to put it really but anyway i don't know but the answer is we don't charge depending on whether it's muscle under or over uh or the size it's just polyurethane not poly so there's basically two prices for breast augmentations breast augmentation with silicone implants breast augmentation with polyurethane implants boom um that's that that's it do implants have a guarantee yes they all have a guarantee and all the implants we use have got a lifetime guarantee we're not and here goes to the next question is your choice as to which brand of implant is it your choice as to which no it is uh well is it my choice I'm alrighty. Is it my sorry? Is it my choice as to which brand of implants? Um, I have a view. I tend to use Polytech and Nagor. Those are the two companies that I use. 
Um, Polytech are the only company that make polyurethane implants. So if you want polyurethane implants, um, good question there, Helen. Um, if you want polyurethane implants, you have to have Polytech because they're the only company that make them. Uh, if you want silicone implants, there's quite a few companies that make them. Um, I use Nagel because I've always used Nagel, but if you want a certain make, I'm happy to use that certain make or, or that make as long as a hospital uh, will supply it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not really tied to any manufacturer. It does, I do get a little bit like when people say, oh, I've heard that these are the, you know, so-and-so is the best, you know, like Mentor's the best or Nagel's the best or Allergan's the best. I wouldn't say any of them are the best. It's a bit like saying, you know, um, uh, Nissan, I was going to say, or some company of car. I don't know why I chose Nissan. Um, BMW is the best car, you know, because if you work in a BMW dealership, you'll probably say BMW is the best car, but Mercedes are pretty good. And, you know, um, Audi, you know, pretty good. And Porsche and, you know, all the other car makes, which I can't think of any at the moment, but there's loads. So um, it's not like one's the best. And if someone tries to tell you that this is the best implant, it's probably because that's the implant that they um, have got to deal with and they you know, can only use it. And if you want another one, they they can't use it because um, they've probably got to deal with the implant manufacturer. B-Lights. Okay, B-Lights. Yeah. All right, B-Lights. Well, B-Lights are made by Polytech. Yeah, B-Lights. B-Lights are more expensive, Tracy. And we've had this before. We've got the, I'm going on Thursday to a meeting in Belgium. And uh, I saw them there when I was there last time. So they'll, they'll be there. Um, so... Yeah, so actually that affects the price as well. B lights are more expensive. Um, Mini's the best. There you go, Mini. There you go, Mini. You're a Mini dealer. Are you? Tracy's a Mini dealer. No product placement on this, please. No endorsements, celebrity endorsements for Mini. Other cars are available. Um, so is it my choice? So yeah, I got a view on it, but I haven't got a strong view on it. And they've all oh, the warranty. Yeah, they've all got a warrant. They've all got a lifetime warranty, but the warranty does differ. Again, you can get into the right spin if you look at it. There's some offer capsule contracture. So they all offer lifetime warranty against rupture. Some cover capsule contracture, some don't. Some give money towards the cost of the surgery, some don't. Um, usually if it's within 10 years, and you have to send it back. To you. So the warranty can differ slightly. There's some will offer a cha size change. Some will offer contralateral breasts, so the opposite breast. Uh, you know the implant so when a warranty they're just talking about the implant so some will give you the implant on the other side so it gets into a bit of a minefield and it's a bit of a that's why that's why most surgeons stick with one make because they know what that make offers and when it gets to other makes they can't keep track of what they all offer on the warranty but nevertheless there's a, you can look it up so um it's not that bad you know just look it up um but uh yeah so they yeah they all have a guarantee is the answer a lifetime guarantee but it varies as to what they cover so if you want to know you can if you know if you're interested in a certain implant let us know and we can say look that's what that, <laughs> that implant covers and that's what the other implant covers have a choice your body make a view on it have a have a choice yeah have a choice you know when people say just have this one no choice is it some people don't want a choice some people just say oh goodness me i've got so much to think about size profile shape oh my lord alive can't think of make as well you know, what do you use? You use that one, just use that one, you know, which is fine. And other people want to know, you know, whatever. What suits you, we can, we can go with that. Helen, back in, straight back at you, Helen. Can polyurethane implants cause a slight burning sensation months after surgery? More so around the implant than the actual breast tissue. I'm guessing it's the tissue and implant knitting together. I don't know. Yes, is the answer. 
You polyurethane implants do can cause uh, can feel a bit firm. They can cause a bit of an allergic reaction, and the uh, polyurethane foam can give an allergic reaction. I don't know. It used to be more of a problem. Well, it used to be talked about more. To be honest, I think I've only ever seen it once. Um, and the breast goes red. It happens about three weeks after surgery. Breast goes red, goes itchy, and you do worry a bit about infection when you see it because you think, hold on a minute, red. You know, oh my god, is it? Is it? When I saw it, it was not an obvious infection. It did look more like an allergic reaction. But nevertheless, I treated it with antibiotics because infection is something we really worry about with implants. But you can get it was something on the polyurethane. I don't know if they've changed the way they do the polyurethane. So it's not a problem anymore. I certainly haven't seen it in many, many years. But um, it was a thing that you could get this sort of slight allergic reaction to the foam. Um, and that could get a sort of itch and redness. I'm not sure if that's the same as burning sensation. They do feel a bit firm. Never, whatever happens, implants, you know what, you can get weird feelings, whether they're polyurethane or normal, you get weird feeling and odd sensations. Um, is it the tissue and implanting together? Maybe, but it may just be something to do with the implant, the interface of the implant and the, and the tissues. Um, as ever, you know what I would say, Helen, I, I don't know if I, I think go and see your surgeon, have a check. You know, because we are a bit worried with implants. Uh, it's months after surgery, so that's less of a worry. But we do worry about infection and stuff like that. Any funny feelings and stuff. So it's always good to have a check out, check up. I would say. So maybe give them a ring or go and see them just to get get make absolutely sure it's all okay. But it's not a particularly worrying sign. Sort of slight burning sensation is not a particular worrying sign. So, good o, good o. Was that good? Was that all right? Um, really late sorry about that um so i'm going to check out checking out now uh i'll stand by in case there's any last minute questions stand by leaning back leaning forward and i am going to i would there you go lorraine more of a statement than a question lorraine i would love teardrop implants that lorraine yeah Good. Teardrop implants are good. Natural result, softer look in the upper pole. Depends on your breast shape. People say teardrop implants are natural. They are in a you don't see my webinar, Lorraine. Have you have you have you watched my webinar? Um, because it depends on your breast shape. Obviously, you've got to add your breast shape to the implant. So you can get a natural result with round implants if your breast is sitting a bit low. But anyway. Anyway, I'm I'm comment I'm answering your comment. I shouldn't really answer your comment because your comment I would like that comment if I could, but I can't. I will later ask it later, Lorraine. Good on you, Lorraine. What is that emoji? Are you crying? I would love teardrop implants, and you're crying. Um, maybe it's not crying. Uh, Rachel, where have you been hiding? Coming out at the last minute, huh? Coming at the last minute. How important is wearing compressor garments? Good question. Good. That's a good question. Short question. Succinct. But that is actually is a good question. Um, I think sometimes patients like to be told, I don't know, this is a bit like that magician who tells all his secrets, you know, um, you know, the masked magician who tells you how they're all done. I feel a bit like that because 
I think sometimes patients like to be told you got to wear your compression garment for three weeks or four weeks or two months or this, and you've got to wear this compression garment for the first two weeks. Then you've got to change this one, um, uh, you know, at, um, um, <laughs> then you've got to wear this one. Um, and you know, it's like, it's going to be absolute disaster if you don't wear this compression garment and your result will be terrible if you don't wear the compression garment. And I think some people, patients like that, they like to be said, told, this is how you've got to do it. And that's good and that's fine. Um, but the absolute fact, when you look at it and the facts of it, I think compression garments are good and I think they do help and they do help with the swelling and they can be comfortable. Some patients do like having a bit of extra protection. I normally say you wear them four to six weeks, whether that be a compression garment, meaning a bra, like a post-op bra, that we will give you after your surgery or whether it be a tummy tuck sort of compression garment or a vest for a gynecomastia whatever it is when you've done some traumatic thing to someone like liposuction or you know put implants in or tummy tuck or some of that um there is swelling and i think the pressure garment does help having said that they can cause problems they can dig in you get red marks they can be uncomfortable they can be unsightly in the summer if you wear nice tops and you've got this big thing on so they can cause problems. So, um, you know, you don't want it causing problems. You don't want it causing red marks. You certainly don't want to get come to the clinic with ulceration and stuff like that. So it's a balance. And um, I don't know what it is part of body it is, um, Rachel, but like, for instance, like tummy tucks, um, I'd say, you know, sometimes people wear the big pants instead of the, the compression garment. Breast uh, surgery, we give them like a proper post-op bra, but they might want to wear a, one of their sports bras because it's more comfortable you know, that's okay. Just something that gives a bit of support and they might not wear anything. You know, they might say like this tummy tuck thing is really hurting me and it's really uncomfortable. I like, okay, we'll try off it for a while and see how you get on. You might find that it really swells and it comes me get that garment back on again. We might find this okay. Um, when we do something, uh, there's an operation called a tram flap where you take a tissue from your tummy with the same tissue you take when you do a tummy tuck and use it to reconstruct the breast. And you keep it attached on its blood supply and it twists up there and the blood supply comes in a stalk sort of here. And so we don't use a compression garment, although we've done the same as a tummy tuck. We don't use a compression garment because we worry about compressing the, the, um, the blood supply and they don't get significant swell. It's not like they get disastrous results in their tummy. You know, so it just shows you don't absolutely need a thread pressure garment. Um, so, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's uh, so do they prevent seromas? Um, that's the swelling slash seroma that's the sort of thing that you would hope that they do and that's the reason you tell people to wear them because it helps to close down that space um and again really i suppose i should say all this stuff this is all my opinion i should have a little little disclaimer this is all my opinion and this is not written in stone because people do surgery different ways and maybe rely on pressure garments more and things because I use drains still for tummy tucks. I'm assuming it's about tummy tucks now, Rachel. Um, so I don't get many seromas, touch wood. Uh, it's not it's not a common problem. Um, but yes, if you if I do get a seroma and then I drain it, I will then put compression on to try and keep that space down, space closed. So you might say, well, therefore, compression garments are good for seromas. So yeah, so there's no question compression, garment, uh, compression garments are good, but they can cause problems and they can be bad. So you again, it's like anything that I've ever, ever spoken about, whether you have surgery or not, you've know, got to weigh it up. So if they're digging in and causing you bother, think about whether their benefit is outweighing their risks sort of thing. If they're not digging in and they're not causing you bother, then carry on with it. But um, 
the fact that you're asking how important is wearing compression garments leads me to believe that maybe you're having a bit of a thing with the compression garment that you're not finding it comfortable but might be wrong there but uh, yeah so yes they can prevent they can help with seromas although you can still get seromas from people with pressure garments because i had a seroma i don't get very often i had one a few years ago and she was wearing compression yeah. garments so but um yeah and my surgeon doesn't want to know hardest woman to deal with ever capitals however you're amazing and this is what you need with a surgeon you're fab that's me i'm fab so this is what you need with a surgeon i'm fab look at that i'm fab and i'm not like the what people who don't want to know thank you helen that's kind i do try i'm just trying to answer the question um ha -ha, i've been very busy um who, who you've been busy have you rachel is that why um yeah i've had them before it's a question people ask on my group for you got a group rachel's got a group rachel's got a group um i've had them before you've had seromas have you rachel if you've had seromas yeah i mean as I say, balance, Rachel, I would I would say to them, I wouldn't say to them not, I'm not saying don't wear compression garments. I'm saying they have they are good. If they weren't good, we wouldn't do them at all, use them at all. But I have seen people with red marks and all that sort of stuff. Often I find the abdominal ones are often a bit too bit too long. They dig into your breast, especially when you're really crouched up, they can cut into your thighs. They can cause some issues, you know. So I'm like, I'm always trying to think, okay, let's try and get some big pants or something else that will do the do you know help with the compression but also not dig in so because you've got to be comfortable you don't want to like have this thing that's sticking in and rachel we all agree happy face good i agree with all of you as well rachel that's good we're all good look at that flurry at the end just as i said i was going and they all panicked everyone panicked and thought better get the questions in but i'm going Wait for the questions. I'm going now. All right, is that it with the questions then? Is there any more questions? I got a flurry that a minute ago when I said I was going. Hmm. Any more questions? Any more for any more? All in fair warn. All in fair warn. Going to be here next week. Off to a meeting tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, Thursday in Brussels. Oh, David, hello. <laughs> Hi, David my brother yeah it's not really for you david this this is for yeah bye oh i say you're trying to tell me something rachel okay now my brother's here i'm embarrassed um so i'm gonna go so rachel you are very welcome and thank you thank you for for participating and um yeah a bit embarrassed there my brother's watching so i better check out now before i embarrass myself further thank you all for commenting and um being part of this event and I will check myself out and I will see you on Tuesday next week. I'll talk about, uh, I'll go to this meeting and um, I will definitely, uh, well, I say definitely, I shouldn't say definitely because I might not. But um, Tracy, I'm going to ask about the bee lights because I know you're going on about it. Um, funny, I'm funny. Good, <laughs> good. Comedy, plastic surgery. That's the niche I'm, I'm trying to fill. I think there's a room for that in, um, in this country um so good so thank you all for <laughs> being here and uh i'll report back next tuesday please keep questions coming in L loads of questions tonight which is fantastic uh the more the merrier and uh, i better go and have my dinner now um it's probably in the in the dog um so speak to you next week
I'm ending the broadcast. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.